0: I've entitled this tonight, Clearing Away the Fog. Clearing Away the Fog. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You know, I totally get it when skeptics reject religion. As a matter of fact, it's one thing that when you're sharing the gospel with people, one of the keys in sharing the gospel and carrying on a conversation with a lost person is that you, try to, you do try to find common ground where you can agree with them. And one of the areas that's easy to agree with them on is this issue of uh, they don't like religion, they reject religion. And I like saying to them, you know what, I'm the same way. Now that kind of freaks them out. They don't understand what we're getting at. But then that opens the door as well to where we can share the gospel with them once they understand what we're getting at. In the uh, PE book, the personal evangelism book that we have, Dr. A. Ray Stanford, who's the one who led me to Christ, he said this, he says, religions are man-made. Two Latin words make up our English word religion, re and ligio. Re means to go back and ligio means to bind. Religion then means to bind back, okay? Religions are man's efforts to bind himself back to God. Now that's not Christianity and that's not salvation. It isn't man trying to bind himself back to God. But when you think about it, and can I tell you this? Even within quote unquote Bible believing churches today, this is a real problem because many of those churches, what they're doing, their version of the plan of salvation is they have people having to make commitments to bind themselves back to God in one way or another. That's religion. That's not Christianity. We are not trying to bind ourselves back to God, we're accepting. God's move on wanting to bind us to Himself. He does the work. We don't do the work. You don't earn your salvation. Good deeds of one kind or another, even promises to God, that's not salvation. Religions are man's effort to bind Himself back to God. Every religion is that way. Now, Christianity is not a religion, okay? It's faith in a person and the work He did for us, which is Jesus Christ. All religions, can I be so bold as to say this today? All religions are Satan-inspired, whether those who come up with them mean that or not. Still, this is what happens because people think, okay, religion, that's the way to God. And then virtually every religion has, to some extent, a list of things that you have to do to be accepted by God. That's not Christianity. But yet there's so much, can I say this? There's so much fog on this issue. People are in a fog. There are churches here, uh, I've run, let me put it this way, I've run into people at different churches here in St. Cloud, one in particular I'm thinking of, I won't say which one it is, but every single person I've ever witnessed to from this one church, they do not have a clue of where they're going when they die. Or Why? If you say, yeah, I'm going to heaven, why, why do you think you go to heaven? And it's just the crickets, you know, they just stare. I've never met a person from that church who knows why they're a believer. Now that's a pathetic thing because every person who comes to a church for any length of time should know the gospel and should know why, if they're saved, why they're saved. Religions are Satan-inspired. See, Satan delights to blind man into thinking he could somehow earn eternal life through his good works. But you can't earn eternal life. Now, there's a lot of, which is really the work of Satan, there's a lot of churches that preach a message that is close to the gospel, but it's not the gospel. See, the gospel, the whole issue that activates the gospel in a person's life is faith, Faith alone in Christ alone. Paul said in Romans one sixteen, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that does what? Believes. That's all. Believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's only faith in Christ. Only faith in Christ. Now Second Corinthians eleven fourteen, it says, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. It's a good definition for a religion. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. Isn't that interesting? Now watch this. Whose end shall be according to their what? Their works. Two weeks ago, we talked about the final of the seven judgments we were covering. And the last one was the great white throne judgment. And everybody at the great white throne judgment is an unbeliever. And every one of them will be judged according to their works. They rejected faith in Christ as their way to salvation. Therefore, they're saying, no, God, you judge me based on my works. Well, I'll tell you what, that's probably one of the dumbest things you could ever say. Because you can't be saved if it's going to be based on your works. That's why it has to be by grace, through faith, in Christ, plus nothing, minus nothing. All right? The plan of salvation is not a religion, but is the message of what God has already done to bring us back to him. He has done the work. All he's asking us to do is believe it. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that he paid for our sins on the cross and rose from the grave, he gives us as a gift everlasting life. It's everlasting. Put your faith in Christ, he gives you everlasting life, you're saved forever. No fog, no confusion. It's the simplicity of the gospel. Satan gives the lost a religion that, when he hears it, will blind him to salvation. When you witness, always point out that the gospel is not a religion, okay? We are not discussing man's philosophy. We're discussing God's word. It's not a I think, you think. It's a matter of what does the Bible say, all right? Man's ideas always lead to confusion. Friends, when you insert into the gospel anything but faith alone and Christ alone as a condition for salvation, confusion takes place. The fog rolls in. And so you've got people who don't know they're saved. You've got people who thought they were saved, but now they fear they're not saved. You've got people who are kind of like uh, the hamster on the treadmill or on the wheel, okay, they're doing all they can, they're going as fast as they can to prove to themselves, I guess, that they're saved. Well, can I tell you this? You'll never prove that you're saved if it's based on your faithfulness because how do you know you've been faithful enough? You don't know. Do you see? This is fog. The fog rolls in and people are confused and people are fearful and people are really messed up. Man's idea always leads to confusion. God's word brings clarity, okay? Now, Proverbs has a lot to say about this. Let's go over to Proverbs chapter 28. God's word always brings clarity. I guess that's one of the reasons I love it so much, the scriptures, clarity. It's like a breath of fresh air. It's like a glass of cold, pure water. It's like, ah, oh, thanks, I needed that. That's the scripture. Proverbs 28, verse 25, it says, He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. Fat here is the idea of being blessed. It doesn't mean that you're obese. All right? Next verse. Now, here you go. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Isn't that interesting? But whoso walketh wisely, he shall be Delivered. So, we're going to break this down tonight into two areas. I've already covered one a little bit, but I want to go more into detail. The issue of salvation. So many people are confused about this. What does it take to be saved? How can I know I'm saved? Let me tell you something, folks. There are people who are neurotic, they're basket cases. On a regular basis, I get emails from people, we get phone calls from people. Can you help me with this? I'm really struggling. How do I know I'm saved? How Can I know I'm saved? And and, in all these different things. And we always simply, all we can do is take them back to the scriptures. Because that's where your assurance is found. Let me say it again. Your assurance of your salvation, there's only one place. It's in the scriptures. It's in the promises of God. It's not based on whether you're being faithful, because how faithful do you have to be? It's not based on on this thing or that thing. It's based on the promise of God. So we're going to look at some scriptures tonight. Turn with me over to Galatians chapter 1. That's where we'll begin. Now on our trip over to Galatians chapter 1, I want you to bypass it just a little bit. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and of course we have those up here on the platform, notice what it says. Now, Most of you know this. I was raised Roman Catholic. Good boys go to heaven, bad boys go to hell. How good do I have to be? Do your best. How will I know that I've done my best? You'll just know. One day you'll just know. That was at nine years old, I was told that by a Catholic priest. For the next 10 years, I didn't agonize over it, but I just was confused. I had no idea. I mean, he was the religious authority, right? You figure you could believe what he was saying. But then one night I came face to face with these verses up here. For by grace are you saved through faith. And look at the next line. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast. My world stood still. Wait a minute, this can't be true. This is different than anything I've ever learned. But the Holy Spirit is like he was saying. I I wasn't hearing voices, but the thoughts were there. Yeah, but it must be true because it's the word of God. Well, we were taught in the Catholic Church, even though we didn't read it, we were taught the Bible was the word of God. And so I had to wrestle with that, but I came down on the side of God. By the way, you're always safe with him. And I believe that. The man explained grace, God's unmerited kindness, undeserved favor. For by grace are you saved through faith. You notice it doesn't say anything else besides faith. Through faith, faith in Christ. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But you see, religion says, oh no, you have to do something. You have to prove you're worthy. You've got to have at least an an attitude, or you got to make some promises with God. It can't just be a gift, because if it's just free, then you know, you're going to turn into a, a serial killer, and a rapist, and this and that. I mean, if you simply believe faith in Christ brings eternal life and you can never be lost again, certainly it's going to make you some sort of an animal in the way you live your life. No, no. I'm not saying people can't abuse the grace of God, but I am saying this, folks, that that's not been my experience watching people come to understand the gospel. They get excited. They're excited about it. And how how do you account for the fact that those who believe in works for salvation, to get them out to church, it's like pulling teeth. But isn't it interesting? When you come to trust Jesus Christ the Savior, if you'll listen to God, he'll start leading you to local church, and he'll start leading you to be involved. And you're being intrinsically motivated. That's the way it should be. And that's the plan of God. But even if you don't serve the Lord the way you should as a believer, if you've trusted Christ. You're saved forever. You have eternal life. Oh, God will work in your life. There's no doubt about that. But you can't lose your salvation once you have it. And if you fail in your life, it doesn't mean you're never saved. What it means is that you failed in your life. Deep truth. If you fail in your life, what does it mean? Well, it means you failed in your life. Where do we get this idea? Well, if you fail in your life, that means you're not saved. Those are two different things. We all still sin once we're saved. God doesn't want us to. We shouldn't want to, but we do. Doesn't take away your salvation. James 2.10, though, says, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. In other words, if you have broken one of God's commandments, you are disqualified as far as earning your salvation. You can't earn it. Now, you're in Galatians. Look at verse six, chapter one, verse six. And we're going to look at just several verses here in Galatians. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him, the Lord, that called you into the grace of Christ. You notice we're saved by grace, not works. unto another gospel, which is not another. There's only one. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert, twist, distort the gospel of Christ. All right. You notice When you get saved, you're called into the grace of Christ. That's the good news. It's the grace of Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith. Grace, unmerited. Folks, there's nothing you can do, there's nothing I can do to merit salvation. We are helplessly, hopelessly lost. If somebody doesn't save us, we'll never be saved. No matter how sincere you are, no matter how much you cry, no matter how many promises, none of that will get your salvation. But when you understand the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, paid our sin debt, was buried, and rose from the grave three days later, and all he's asking you to do is believe in him that he did that for you. And when you do, he gives you everlasting life. There's a clarity there. Chapter two of Galatians, look at verse 16. Galatians two sixteen. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of... We're in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, there shall no flesh be justified. Look down at verse 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Are we seeing, folks, there's a contrast here? There's a, you can't put the two together. It's not grace and works. It's grace alone in Christ alone. It's only grace. you either saved by your works or you're saved by grace. Well, you can't be saved by your works, so you better be saved by grace. It's not a mixture. Chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ had been evidently set forth crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received you the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Of course, they would say, oh, well, it was by faith. Okay. Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? See, this refutes a very um, common false teaching today called lordship salvation, where you're saved by grace, but now you have to live a faithful life. And if you don't live a faithful life, you're never saved to begin with. Now listen, we believe in living a faithful life, but that doesn't bring salvation. Salvation is not a bilateral contract. Let me put it this way. It isn't him saying to us, okay, we're entering into agreement here. I will save you if you promise to behave yourself. Sign on the line. No. No. That's adding works to the gospel. Salvation is God says, I will save you if you'll only trust in my son. I'll give you eternal life and I'll never lose you, never cast you out. You might say, well, that doesn't seem fair. You're right, it's not fair, it's grace. Grace is unmerited, grace is undeserved. You can't earn it, you can't work for it, you can't merit it, you can't deserve it. But see folks, anything else but grace, the fog rolls in. How faithful do I have to be? I don't feel saved today. I hesitated whether I wanted to give last Sunday to the offering. Now, you ought to give, but you see, all these mind games, it's been two days, I haven't read my Bible in two days, I wonder if I'm saved or not. All these things, because we hear these ideas. If you're saved, you're going to live a certain way. And if you don't live a certain way, you're not saved. Well, that saying is saying then, whether they mean it or not, that is saying that's putting a requirement besides faith on a person. And all that does is bring confusion. All it does. Galatians 3.10 For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things (laughs) which are written in the book of the law to do them. Okay, you want to be saved by the law? You got to do it perfectly. I can't do that. Well, then you better put your faith in Christ and not in yourself. Verse 22, But the scripture has concluded all under sin, that includes you and me, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that do what? Believe. Anything else? What else? Believe. That's it. Believe. Verse 26 For you are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Over and over and over and over. It's faith alone in Christ alone. Now, once you understand the gospel and trust in Jesus Christ, it brings clarity to your mind. Listen, folks, I know I can never be lost again because all of my sin was paid for on the cross. All of it. There's nothing I can ever do that would forfeit my salvation. Because if I did something against God, what is that? It's sin. How many sins did Jesus pay for? He paid for all of them. Okay, here we are. We're sinners. Sin separates us from God. You can't go to heaven with your sin. You have to be sinless. None of us are. The wages of sin is death. If I die with my sin, I'll be lost forever in hell. Heaven's a perfect place. I'm not. For me to get in, I have to be sinless, and I'm not. So what am I going to do? That fact proves that you can't earn your way to heaven. Your good works won't save you. Because we need a payment for sin, We don't need a a list of good works. We need a payment for sin. Well, that's what Jesus did. Now, watch. He came, God in the flesh. He died on the cross. And when He did, He took every sin you've done and every sin you'll do to the day you die. He took it upon Himself and He made the payment so you don't have to. Jesus paid it all. How much sin is left? None. If you believe he did that for you, the moment you do, that payment's good on your behalf. God gives you everlasting life. You go to heaven on what Christ has done for you. Okay, when you believe the payment he made is put to your account. Okay, he takes your sin. It's good on your behalf. Now, God looks at me. All my sin is gone. It's called forgiveness. He has sent it away. That's what the word forgive means. If all my sin is sent away... God looks at me and I have no sin, then what's going to keep me out of heaven? Nothing. If sin keeps me out of heaven and all my sin is gone, nothing's going to keep me out of heaven. What's going to send me to hell? Well, nothing. The wages of sin is death, but I accepted the payment Christ made for my sin. Therefore, he died for me as my substitute. Therefore, I have a death payment for my sin. I accepted the one he made for me. It's good on my behalf. Listen, there's nothing To keep me out of heaven and there's nothing to send me to hell because jesus paid it all once you understand it it's so clear there is nothing to send me to hell and there is nothing to keep me out of heaven that's why jesus said what he did in john 5 24 he said verily verily i say unto you he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath that moment has hath present tense right now Hath everlasting life, everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And so folks, we need to understand this. There's all kinds of things that people come up with, all kinds of backloading the gospel. They try to put things in, all kinds of different things. Listen, in this area of salvation, you have Lordship, salvation, which I've covered. In other words, you not only have to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have to let him be the master of your life if you want to go to heaven. That involves faithfulness. That involves work. That's mixing something. That's adding to faith in Christ. Or the Calvinists believe in the perseverance of the saints. In other words, if you're saved, you'll persevere to the end of your life. If you don't persevere to the end of your life, then you were never saved to begin with. Now, there's some Baptists who believe that. That is heresy. What do you do with people like Saul? What do you do with the others in the Bible? What do you do with Ananias and Sapphira? They were believers. They were struck dead. What do you do with the Corinthian saints who were coming drunk to the Lord's Supper and says, for this cause, uh, God judged them. And he said, there are some who I've made them sick and there's others I've taken home. He didn't send them to hell. They went to heaven. No. Then there's others who say, well, Yeah, salvation's a gift, but you gotta turn from your sin to be saved, okay? You gotta turn from your sin. What does that mean? Think about it. And that's how they define repentance, as turning from sin. Listen, if I have to turn from my sin to be saved, then you are saying I have to stop sinning to be saved. Is there anybody who can stop sinning completely? No. Well, you have to stop sinning some. Okay. (laughs) Where's that in the Bible? You're making up your own rules. The fog's rolling in. The clarity's gone. No, it's Christ and Christ alone who's the Savior. It's not him and me. Here's what that's saying. I do my part. He does his part. That's how I get to heaven. No, friend, it's all Christ. Don't you believe this stuff? It is not possible even for a believer to completely stop sinning. Now, does God want us to have cleaner lives, more pure lives? Absolutely. That's, that has to do with Christian growth, and that can take place over time. But whether we have good days or bad days doesn't change the fact that if you put your faith in Christ, you're safe forever, no matter what. No matter what. Now, what about in the Christian life? Well, can I tell you this? And I think you know this already, those of you who are saved. Life can become cluttered and confusing at times. I found this... If you do any kind of exercise, it's a good thing when you're exercising. Sue and I do some aerobic stuff. I know, don't let your imagination run wild, me doing aerobics, okay? But we do some aerobic stuff. Several times while we're watching a video and doing the exercises, several times I say, okay, take deep breaths, okay? Clear out your lungs, clear out your lungs, okay? And what does that do? That's good for the body, right? It's good for the body, now it's not we're not watching yoga or anything like that, but this is good for the body. And it is. Okay. You need that break. You need that, that burst of energy, okay? The oxygen and, and everything. Deep breaths to inhale and exhale. The air. Life can become cluttered and confusing if we're not handling life the way God wants us to. See, folks, we are not capable of living life effectively without the Lord. I'm talking about believers. Believers. Lost people are not either, but believers, we get the idea okay, once we're saved, now we'll just white knuckle it through life. I'm going to try as hard as I can and I'll do my best and hopefully God's okay. No, we need, just like we needed Christ to save us, we need Christ to empower us on a daily basis. We're not capable of living life effectively without the Lord. This means more than just being saved, as great as that is, but it is very natural for us to violate God's will and his way. Really, what is at the root of that? Pride is at the root. Listen, when I decide as a believer to go my way, that's my pride that's driving that. When we put our ideas before God's, it's an exercise of our pride. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah seventeen nine, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's the heart. But what do we hear today? Yeah, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Here we go, Christians. I'm not sure what to do. I'm kind of confused. It's kind of like, the fog's rolling in. I'm kind of confused. What should I do? Just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Is that the answer, to follow your heart? No, that's not the answer. While we may not consciously think about it, the flesh wants to be in control and direct our steps. When I say the flesh, I'm talking about our old sin nature that we still have even after we're believers. By the way, that's why we still sin as believers. It leads to nothing but trouble and uncertainty. Let me say it again. The flesh wants to control and direct our steps, okay? And it leads to nothing but trouble and uncertainty. Life becomes a gamble of choices. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? A gamble of choices. Well, I think I'm going to do this. Well, I think I'm going to do that. God is something better than this. Let me give you some examples of this. Raising your children. It can be a real problem, okay? Raising your children or marriage. How do you do a marriage, okay? Maybe you were raised in a home. Maybe you didn't have two parents at home. What are you gonna do? Well, I don't know. I'll just do my best. I'll follow my heart. No, God's given us answers for these things, What are you going to do with your money? God's given us answers on how to handle money. Things about debt, staying out of debt, this thing, that thing. God has answers to all these things, but we have to find out what they are. Otherwise, we are just gambling with choices. Well, I hope this works. I hope that works. I'll do my best. I'm sincere, but sincerity can be a real problem if we have a deceitful heart. Proverbs says what? There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Twice it says that, by the way. Turn with me to Proverbs 3. How to get along with people. How to choose friends. How to choose a spouse. Can I tell you really a quickie on that? If you never date the wrong kind, you'll never marry the wrong kind. They need to be saved, and they need to be dedicated to Jesus Christ. I said, well, the one I'm interested in... uh, they're saved, that's not enough. That's not enough. If they're saved and carnal, all it's going to be is trouble because they'll be living like a lost person, yet they're saved. Okay? No, they need to be saved and living for Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter how you feel about them because you're going to be in serious trouble down the road If things aren't right now, listen, there is the grace of God, folks, and God can put things together. And through Christian growth, a couple who starts out not having any idea what they're doing, they can end up having something wonderful, but it takes the application of scripture. Proverbs 3, 5, it says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, not trust in your heart, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Why? Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Look what it says next, verse 6. In all thy ways, all thy ways, acknowledge him. Let's put him first. And he makes a promise, and he shall direct thy paths. This defines what it means to walk by faith. To trust in the Lord is also to trust in his word. Why do I say that? Because the word of God is inspired by God. It is God-breathed. When I trust what the Bible says and I do what the Bible says, I am trusting in the Lord because he's the one who said it. It's just like if you, parents, if you were going to work one day and you say, okay, I've got this list of chores for the kids to do today. And you write them a note and you say, okay, kids, here it is. And you put it, you know, look on the refrigerator. That's where the the note is posted and you have it. Here's what you need to get done today before I get home. All they need to do is look at that. And that paper has the authority of the parent. And they need to do what it says there. If they are obeying what that paper says, they're obeying the one who wrote the paper, who wrote the commands down on there. It's the same thing in scripture. This is what walking by faith is all about. To trust in the Lord is also to trust in his word, seeing the word as inspired, coming directly from God himself. This is linked, by the way, to verse one of chapter three where it talks about keeping his commandments. Are you in uh, Proverbs 3? Go with me to chapter 6. See, here's what happens, folks. The whole idea of being in the fog or not seeing clearly, the word of God is what clears everything out. It's the word of God that brings clarity. Listen, all of us struggle at times, all of us do, with I'm not sure what to do. I feel overwhelmed. I feel confused. That's human. There's a lot of pressures we have to deal with. What does God want us to do? He wants us to go to him. He wants us to go to the word of God. And we find help. We find clarity. The fog starts rolling away when we get into the Word of God and God starts speaking to us through the pages of Scripture. And we get encouraged because we're starting to feel better about things. God's Word, as it says in Psalm 19, causes us to hope. Proverbs 6.23, "For For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Now, while I can do it, I don't like driving at night, any more than i have to my judgment is not as good when i'm driving at night now i'm not to the point where i can't do it i just don't like to do it if it's on a predictable road like an interstate that's not as much of an issue but if it's a winding country road or something like that at night that kind of i don't like this i don't like this situation there's an uncertainty that's there Would it be that way if it was the middle of the day on a bright, sunny day? No. Why? Because I could see clearly then. But if there's something that's hindering me from seeing clearly, it stresses me out. I get anxious a little bit on that. If I have plenty of light, my judgment is more accurate. And the word of God is a lamp and a light. So when I'm in the scriptures, if I need direction and I need stability in my life, I go to the word of God. Look with me to Psalm 119. We'll close in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 130, the entrance of thy words giveth light. You see it? What about the opposite? If the word does not, if I reject the word, if I do not allow the word of God to come in, I am abiding in darkness. If we are abiding in darkness, folks, we have nothing to go by except our feelings. Yet how do you couple that with the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked? God doesn't want us to live by our feelings. He wants us to live by the black and white truth of scripture. Then the fog rolls away. The entrance of thy word giveth light. It gives understanding unto the simple. See, the word of God is like a score key. It gives you all the right answers and helps you fill in the blanks. Psalm 119, if you go back to verse 24, it says, Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. So, what's the point tonight? You want to clear away the fog in your life? Number one, put your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone as Savior. He's the only way. Jesus said in John six forty seven, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me has everlasting life. All you have to do, the only condition for salvation is faith alone in Christ alone. He'll give you eternal life. If you're a believer like I am, what does God want us to do? He wants us to continue to live in light to where we can see and where we can discern. What aids us in that? This book that we have, that's why it's so precious and so valuable.